All right, guys, no pressure this afternoon. <laughs> go home and, and, and wife makes you dinner. No pressure, you know, to, to go in and, and uh, you know, perform while you do the dishes. So, but any, anybody have that vision, like, you know, you grow up, you get married, that's what it's going to be like, you know, he does the dishes and, and he sings as he does it and just serenades you all evening long. Anybody ever have that vision growing up, that expectation? Hey, I'm excited. We're, we're starting this new series today, Jay mentioned a moment ago, called The Sounds of Marriage. And uh, this is a, a series that, uh, we'll just kind of say this off the top, it's going to probably get a little personal at times. And, and that's okay, because marriage is a personal thing. And I know for some of us, too, in, in the room, that, that uh, this might be hard because of uh, the, the fact that, that one of the two has, has made the race and, and has, has stayed faithful till, till death do you part, and, and, and now you're looking back at marriage kind of in the rearview mirror. And, and I understand that. But my, my, my focus on this series is uh, marriage is such a sacred, incredible thing. It's such an amazing thing. In fact, marriage is the very first institution God put into place. You, you look back in the Bible before any government existed, before any kingdom existed, any empire, there was marriage. And God established that covenant. And so the course of this series, what we're going to look at is, is how every kind of season of marriage has a different sound to it, a different noise to it, if you will. And, and, and kind of a different tune. And, and some of you guys who have, have been married 50 plus years, you look back and you kind of, kind of see that. You see those different phases. And so each week of this series is going to hit one of those seasons of marriage. And so kind of, kind of to say this off the top, uh, maybe for some of you, the, 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 the week that's going to really aim at you is a couple weeks from now, but there's still stuff sprinkled through all of these others for you. And so what we're going to do today is kind of start this off by looking at the first sound of, of marriage. That's just the noise. And so if you're, if you're single, if you're dating, if you're newly engaged, yeah. <clears throat> if you guys hadn't heard the news, um, I'm going to uh, spill it for him, but our, our next-gen pastor, our youth pastor, Trevor, is newly engaged, so officially off the market. <laughs> Um, but this is really for you, because what we're going to talk about today is kind of what the early part of marriage looks like. And for some of you, again, you're going to look back at this. I, I, I'm kind of expecting a lot of head nodding and probably a little finger pointing going on today. I'm not saying who I'm expecting this from, but um, you guys know the culprits typically. But uh, what I want to look at today is just kind of what this beginning part of marriage looks like. And often, the early part of marriage can be tough because as you get into marriage, we use the term honeymoon phase for a reason because you're still, there's just, you're so in love and, and love over, uh, overflows everything else. But often what happens is when you get into the early parts of marriage, if there's tough times or struggles, it's often because of one word, because of expectations. See, we, we, we come into marriage with a certain amount of expectations often, and a lot of times what happens with these expectations is, is we kind of start doing this as we're single even. We start building this up. We start kind of packing this box, if you will, of expectations, and, and we bring this into our marriage with us. And, and think about this. Ladies, kind of, kind of, you can show me your hands if you want to. How many of you had your, your wedding and your marriage figured out and planned out when you were like 13 or 14 years old. You had the fairy tale kind of planned. You knew what to expect. Prince Charming was going to come along. Guys, how many of you kind of had it figured out when you were younger? You know, you kind of knew what your wife, you want, what you wanted your wife to be. You had all these amazing expectations for your wife. Like, guys, you probably thought, you know what? As I'm getting married, my, my mom loved to bake, honey. You're going to love to do this too. 
you're going to love just making me muffins every night. It's going to be great. In fact, I'll get you her recipe so you can know exactly how to do it. Or ladies, maybe, maybe for you it was like, you know what? My dad was a handyman. You're going to love fixing everything around the house. So go ahead. Here you go. Here you go. You're going to love knowing it needs to be fixed before it actually needs to be fixed. Maybe that was you. Or maybe you thought to yourselves, you know, <clears throat> let's, go, let's go sit and watch a movie tonight. And guys, you know what that means. We're going to go watch like, you know, a good nice war movie. You know, maybe, maybe Saving Private Ryan, Full Metal Jacket. You know what the ladies are thinking. Let's go, let's go watch one of these instead. <laughs> You're going to love it. It's going to touch your heart and you might even cry. And guys, here's the downside. Even if you talk her into a war movie, it's probably Pearl Harbor. I mean, that's basically a love movie wrapped inside a war movie. It doesn't count. So maybe she, she gets that. Or, or maybe, maybe here's what you thought. Maybe, guys, you thought, you know what? One of these days, we'll have one of these. Oh, my gosh, this thing makes noise. <laughs> we'll, ladies, you thought, we'll, we'll have one of these one of these days. And guys, you're like, you know what? We can, just, we can have several of these. Because you know what? We're not the one carrying them. We're not the one delivering them. We want a, a bunch, right? It's easy for us. There's those expectations, right? And I'm not, I haven't even got to like the greatest expectation of all with marriage, with intimacy. You know how it works. Guys, you, you thought, you know what? I'm going to make a calendar, and here's what it's going to look like. This is what, this is what our intimate life's going to look like every day of the week, right? And maybe ladies, you're like, well, maybe, you know, maybe on occasion, we do this, right? We, we bring these expectations into our marriages. But here's kind of the problem with that. See, see what happens is often we, we marry somebody kind of based on what we saw out of our parents. You know, you think, man, I'm going to look for a wife who's kind of like my mom in a lot of ways. Got a lot of similar traits because that's what you see growing up. Or ladies, you see that with, with your husband, that he's going to be a lot like your dad, Jennifer and I had this conversation uh, this, this week about what we expected. Before we even knew who each other were, what did we expect our spouse to be like? And her expectations were almost who her dad was, somebody who could, could fix everything and, and had this, this <clears throat> really good, good base of knowledge on how to, how to take care of situations before they ever happened. And, and she's like, what was your expectation of me? I was like, well, my mom was a nurturer, you know, somebody who, who just knew how to take care of, of us before we knew what was wrong. And, and we, we saw that going into it. And what we've realized the reality is, is we're both a pretty good mix of both of our parents. I'm a lot like both of mine. She's a lot like both of hers. What happens is, again, when you're dating, when you're engaged, you're just kind of blinded by love. When you're newlywed, you're kind of blinded by love. And, and you guys who've been married for a while know what happens. Once you get in and you settle into your marriage, then reality kicks in. And reality is a little bit different because what's happened is you've brought all of those expectations you've had all your life into your marriage and unpacked them on your spouse. And now you've got reality setting in. And what you quickly discover, and, and a lot of you will, will understand this, is there's a large gap between reality and expectations. And often what happens is we try to bring our reality up to our expectations as opposed to the other way around. We, we, we see what is and we try to make it what we want it to become. And, and let, me, let me tell you guys that this is where this is hard because marriage will change you. Marriage will change who you are a little bit, and it also changes your spouse. It's just natural. Seasons of life change you. Changes in jobs or careers change you. Finishing school will change you. Let's not even get to kids yet because kids change you individually. 
I mean, I went from being just, just a man to being a husband to being a father. Those roles changed, but then kids change the dynamic of your marriage. Uh, if you've had kids, you understand this. You, you don't just get to pick up and go anymore. It's all of a sudden a chore just to go to, to Walmart. I mean, you've got to get all this stuff. It's like you're packing for a three-week trip to go somewhere for an hour at times. But here's part of the problem. Here's why we struggle with this. When we try to get our reality up to our expectations, you know why? Because often our expectations, you know what they're centered around? They're centered around me. They're what I want. They're what I want my spouse to be, what I want my spouse to be like. And that's where the, the trouble is, is when you're focused on me, when you're, when you're selfish, you try to make your reality into your expectations. And what that does is that just boils over sometimes. And we see this. Some of you guys will understand this. With, with, with when you bring unrealistic expectations into a marriage and you try to force them onto your spouse, usually you get one of three responses. And we see this way too often these days in marriages. The first response is this, I'm done, I'm leaving. And we see this more and more and more. Uh, you may have heard, you know, in, in the U.S., the divorce rate is a little over 50% now. You can break that down. The divorce rate for first marriages in, in the U.S. Uh, for the last few years is 40%. 40% of first marriages fail. But here's kind of the problem with this. The more marriages you have, often that rate goes up. Now, I know some of you on your second marriage or your third marriage, and, and, and that's great. My dad and my stepdad are both on their third. And, and I look at both of them. I see both of these marriages, my, my mom and stepdad, my dad and stepmom. I see these lasting a long time. Both of, of those guys, their second marriage was, was very, very short. But here's the problem. Often when you get remarried, you bring those same expectations you had on your first spouse to your second spouse. And that compounds, and so the rates just go up. The, the divorce rate for second marriages is 60%. Third marriages is 73%. That just that blows me away. Again, you're bringing those same expectations that you brought to your first spouse to your second. So again, some of you may have experienced this already, but that's the, that's the response we get. I, I just, those are unfair. I can't deal with them. I'm done. Here's the second response. I give up. You win. Now, what this one looks like is, is it's easy to say, you know what, this isn't worth fighting for. This isn't worth fighting about. Uh, I'm not going to make a big deal about this. And so you just kind of swallow it and you move on. And, and when you do this, you just kind of, you just kind of hunker down. You just kind of deal with, with what's going on in lives. And often, this causes you to almost put on like a false face, like a mask, like pretending that everything is okay when deep down you know it isn't. And the problem is this boils up and boils up and eventually it explodes. That's why you'll see some marriages that have lasted 10, 15, 20 years just suddenly end out of the blue because they've just dealt with it for so long and they can't do it anymore. I think this is one of the reasons that people have affairs, to be honest. I think because they put on a false face for so long, now all of a sudden they find somebody they can be themselves around, somebody who will accept them for who I am. Now, again, not, usually those don't work out either, but they find somebody they can relax and be themselves with. Here's the third response we get to unrealistic expectations. Let's compromise. Now, you may have some pushback on this one initially, but I want you to hear me out because I've heard in the past, well, compromise is great for marriage. The key to any good marriage is compromise. Here's where I, I disagree with that. Compromise says this, I will do this if you do that. That's compromise. Or I'll, I'll give up this if you give up that. We see this with politics, right? With government, right? And often they break down. Because compromise works until one side feels like it's giving more than the other side. And then there's frustration, and then there's friction, and then they start getting some breakdown. 
See, here's the problem with all of these responses. All of these three responses, they are still centered on who? They're centered on me. I, I'll give this up if you do that. That's, that's me making conditions here. That's what the problem is. All of these responses are centered on me. But here's the catch. God designed marriage to be centered on the concept that we is greater than me. Marriage is all about two being greater than one. Jesus understood this. That's why he said this when, when he was uh, asked about it. Uh, marriage, he, uh, he said this, Matthew chapter 19, verse 5. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Get that? The two will become one. Verse 6, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I like how he repeats that. And then he kind of comes back and gives it from a different angle at the end. Marriage, for it to work, it's not about two people working together. It's about two people becoming one unit. That's why some of the most successful teams are those that if you pull one piece out, they kind of fall apart because they just have learned to work together almost like one machine, like one solid unit. And that's really hard to do when you bring selfishness into a marriage or any, any kind of team atmosphere. So what do we do? How do we approach this? How do we, how do we handle this gap between expectations and reality in marriage? There's an answer. It's from a very famous passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 5. If we're going to kind of camp out there the rest of the day if you want to flip over there with me. But Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Uh, there, there's this, this word that jumps out from this kind of summary statement that Paul gives in this entire passage on, on instructions for a marriage. And this first word he gives, verse 21, submit. Everybody say that with me, submit. We don't like that word. <laughs> we don't like that word, do we? It kind of flies in the face of our American thought of, you know, never surrender, charge, you know, work hard. No, Submit. And when we do that, I, I know what some people probably read that word, and you're like, oh, here it comes, wives, submit to your husbands. That's not, he's not there yet. That's coming down, down the path here. But look what he says right off the bat, submit to one another. Submit to one another. Uh, submitting to one another, what that means, you're simply putting your spouse's needs, wants, expectations above your own. You're making them a priority over you. And, and again, this isn't conditional. You don't say, oh, I'll submit to this if he does that. Or I'll, I'll submit to her if, you know, she makes sure that, that all these chores are done every day. That's not what it says. Submit to one another. It doesn't give conditions for this. And here's why. Look at the rest of this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the kicker there. That's the big part of this right here. I don't submit to Jennifer for Jennifer's sake. She doesn't submit to me for my sake. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's that simple. When we do that, you understand there's kind of this, this, this concept. What, what makes a marriage successful, a solid marriage, one that, that balances expectations and reality, it, I can sum it up in two words. The term is mutual submission. You want to know how to make a marriage work? Mutual submission. We're submitting to each other. And what this principle states and understands is that mutual submission is God's design to fill in the gaps between expectation and reality. All of a sudden, those, that gap isn't filled with me anymore. It, it's filled with God. It's filled with Christ. So how do we do that? Again, Paul goes on. He, he gives some, some, some uh, stronger instructions for each, each member of the, the family here. 
lost my place. It says this in verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands, uh, submit to your own husbands as you do the Lord. And I know a lot, of, a lot of ladies these days don't like to hear that. Like, well, that's kind of a sexist statement, you know, we should be equal, and, and, and you're saying that I should just let my husband put his foot over me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying submit. He's not saying let your husband lord over you. He's not saying let your husband dominate you. What this is saying is this isn't basically giving the man a pass to be the dictator or the man, uh, you know, to, to be cracking the whip. This is basically stating let the man lead the home. You, you think about every, every team has to have a coach, right? Every team has a coach, and often the best coaches aren't the ones who just crack a whip and yell and scream and demand everybody get in line. Often the best coaches are the ones who build up their teams around them. They empower their teams. They, they guide them. They, they, they help push them, and they pull them when they need to, but they don't dominate over them. And so, ladies, let your husbands lead in this situation. And some of you are like, well, what if my husband messes up? What if he screws up and... and, and, and Hurts the family in the process. You know what? That's between him and God. For me, that's a responsibility I take not lightly at all. If I mess things up with my family, I've got to answer to God for that. But ladies, here's kind of some assurance with this. I love this quote from Beth Moore, one of the top Bible teachers in America. She said, ladies, submission is you ducking so God can hit your husband. That's what it looks like. You know, I, when I take a leadership role, I have no problem being the one who catches the arrows for somebody else messing up. That's part of being a leader for, for me. And I do the same thing in my household. So ladies, here, here's, the, here's how you do that. When you say, how, how, do I, how do I submit? How do I let him lead? How do you treat him in public? Uh, do, do, you, do you put him down in front of other people? Do you, do you talk about him in ways that maybe undercut him a little bit? Do you push him up in front of other people? Do you, not, not necessarily to make him the hero, but are you making him the goat? I mean, are, are you basically letting your husband lead? Are you, are you helping him lead your household? Guys, just because he's telling ladies to submit doesn't mean we're off the hook. Look what he says in verse 25, because he gives us even stronger instructions. Husbands love your wives. Love, it's prioritizing somebody else over you. It's prioritizing their needs over your own. And ladies, you're like, wait a minute. We were told to submit, and he's told to love? Is that fair? (laughs) Don't miss the context of this. Look what he says here, verse 25. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The key word there, as. Not love your wives kind of like Christ loved the church. No, just as Christ loved the church and as he gave himself up for her. You know what that love Christ had for the church looks like? It's the cross. Christ loved the church so much. For, I mean, he called the church his bride. We are the bride of Christ, and he loved us so much that he came and put himself on a cross for us. He died for us. And and, and guys, understand this. It's easy to read this and think in terms of the theoretical. And I know a lot of guys say, you know what? I'd die for my wife. I'd take a bullet for her. I'd jump in front of a train for her, whatever. This isn't asking you to theoretically die. This is asking you to give yourself up daily for her. Put yourself down daily so that she can be lifted up and raised up daily. That's what this looks like here. Because right here in this phrase, love your husband, or love, love your wives, 
This word love is the Greek word agape. Now, there are several Greek words that, that our, our English Bibles put in there for love. Agape is probably the most widely known and the most widely understood because we understand agape to mean unconditional love. And often, I think there's a misconception that unconditional love means this is a love that there's no condition that'll break it. That's not what it means. Agape love means there's no condition that has to earn it. In other words, I'll love my wife today simply because, not not because she did this, not because she helped me, not because she, she, she you know, promotes me as a leader or whatever. I simply love her because, period. No reasons, no conditions for me to love her. That's what mutual submission looks like. Wives, let your husbands lead. Love, uh, husbands, love your wives in a way that puts her before everything else. Mutual submission, it's it's what makes marriages work, but there's an understanding that comes with it. Because mutual submission, you need to understand this, folks, it doesn't mean everything will always be 50-50. It can't be. Often we think that. That's compromise. Everything's always 50-50. Mutual submission understands things will not always be 50-50. There are times one side has to give much more than the other. There are times one side has to be more selfish than the other. That's just the nature of life. When we were married, our first couple of years of marriage, uh, Jennifer was in nursing school. And those first two years, I mean, she had to take and take, and I had to give and give. I was fine with that. She had to be selfish with her time. She was in school all day, then she had to study all evening, and then she had to work some evenings and nights. I mean, it was, she was gone a lot. And I know she kept apologizing. I'm so sorry. I said, it's fine. I get it. I understand. You've got to be selfish with your time right now. I'm okay with that. Then a couple years later, the roles flipped. I went back to Bible college. I had to be selfish with my time. And, and then as we transitioned into ministry, we moved to Phoenix and we moved here. I've had to be very selfish with my time. And she understands that. She gets that. And does it put strain? Sure, sometimes it puts strain. But here, here's the catch. Here's where we make this work. We're able to see beyond our current season. When she was in school, I was able to see beyond those two years of school. I knew that, that me giving all of this for two years, I knew what it was going to produce in the end. Right now, she sees beyond what, what season we're in. That, that as she gives a little bit more, as I try to help get myself established here and, 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 and get the ball rolling here on, on, on what I want to accomplish, that she can see past that. And we're able to understand that it's okay to give a little bit more at times because the long run, it's going to play out and things are going to work well. See, here's the problem. Often marriage breaks down because we don't see past that season. We don't see past that stage. And we've used that phrase this, this season, I don't know how many times. We've been married for almost nine years, and we've used that phrase, I don't know how many times in our lives. Because we understand it's just a season. It's just a phase of life. We're going to move past this, and then things are going to get better. And I honestly believe that, that when we do that, when we're able to look past, we're giving up control. See, that's the, that's the problem a lot of times we have, is that mutual submission requires us to let go of control. Control is the exact opposite of, 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 of unconditional love. Think about having a rope pulling in, in two different directions. And you've got control on one end and, and mutual submission or, or unconditional love on the other. You know what happens when you play tug of war. Either one side wins or maybe the rope's going to snap in half. And when you're able to let go, you're able to step back, you're going to understand a little bit more about how this works. And those of you who've been married for a long time, you understand that marriage takes work. Marriage takes effort. It's not simply just going to bed every night and waking up the next morning and going about your day. 
sitting down and talking maybe at dinner. You understand it takes work, it takes attention, it takes focus. Something that I want, I want to give to you guys today as, as you leave is we've got this little survey for you. And what this is, um, sometime this week, I want you to sit down with your spouse. If you're, if you're dating, if you're engaged, sit down with, with that person too. Some of these questions might not apply if, if you're, if you're uh, just, just dating or engaged, but you kind of get the gist of it. But it's got some rules on the front. And what these rules state is that when you do this, number one, choose a time when you're both in a good mood and pick a place where you're not going to be interrupted. Don't come into this, one of you upset with the other, or you're going to ruin the whole thing. <laughs> Both of you be in a good mood. Uh, <clears throat> second rule, this is a big one. Allow your spouse to answer the questions without giving a rebuttal, without giving a response, without giving a defense. Fight the urge to defend, discount, or rationalize anything they say. As your spouse shares, take notes. Internalize. Submit to their reality. And, and here's the big thing, too. This is not just a venting session. This is not the chance for you just to unload all the sins of your spouse. It says your responses should be given with respect and love. Constructive criticism is the way to do this. And most importantly, begin and end your time together in prayer. Praying that you can be reminded that Christ is, is your ultimate example of humility and submission. And here, here's an example of some of these questions for this. Talk about your primary love languages. We don't talk about that a lot, but love languages, there's five. There's acts of service, words of affirmation, physical touch, quality time, and gifts. What is it that, that you kind of crave and desire more? For me, probably words of affirmation. For my wife, it's, it's quality time and touch. Um, so those are kind of the ones uh, that, that trigger us probably the most. Um, but here's some questions. What are some things, or what's the last thing I did that made you feel loved or admired? Uh, we talked about this the other night a little bit. Uh, we're, we're down to one vehicle right now, so uh, I had to go take Jennifer um, dinner the other night. And it just happened to be about the time she was getting off work, so I went and picked her up after I took her to work that day. Um, so I loved her partly because I had to because we had one car. But um, <laughs> that was her response to that. <laughs> uh, is there anything I do that embarrasses you or makes you feel uncomfortable? That's going to be a tough question. If you're being honest with each other, where do you feel the most pressure to live up to my expectations? And then the last question, what's one thing I can do to show you that I love you more? So take some time this week. Again, these are going to be available. I'm going to have the guys at the back of the room handing these out as you guys leave. Uh, you can take, take two copies. If we need to go make, print off more, I will. So take, take one for each of you. But that's kind of the survey. Because here's the thing, as this series builds up, again, each week we're going to hit a different season of marriage. And, and some of you are in this first season, you're going to get a lot out of all four weeks. I'm hoping some of you who are in the last uh, season or two, you're, you're getting something out of these first two. Because next week we talk about people in my phase of marriage, that, that kind of raising a family kind of phase. And, and, and the laughter is what we're going to call that one that, that comes along with it. Because marriage, again, it's sacred. And it, it, it breaks my heart to see the statistics of marriages breaking down. And... and I, I saw this stat that kind of caught my attention. But you know what the average length of a marriage that ends in divorce is? It's eight years. You know how long Jennifer and I have been married? I told you guys this a little bit ago. Eight years. We're coming up on nine. <laughs> so we're just about to beat the average. <laughs> but eight years. It's, it's my hope. And, and, and here, here's kind of the thing too, guys. When you look inside the church and outside, those numbers are about the same. That doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of difference. Numbers inside the church are just as bad as outside. 
My hope is that we can start changing these numbers, start driving that average length of marriage up and those divorce numbers down. We'll do that if we work on ours one at a time. So let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you have given us the awesome challenge of marriage. And God, you've given us the ultimate example of marriage and how much Jesus loved his church. God, I pray for all of the marriages in this room right now. And God, I'm so thankful to look around this room and see uh, just some, some really big numbers, some really big numbers of years. And just, just the challenge uh, for, for, for somebody like me who's still in single digits, but God, that challenge on encouragement to see folks who are married for 50 or 60 years, uh, to, to see uh, people in here who they were faithful to the very end. God, and to know that no matter what this world wants to throw at us, that by being there with you, by wrapping our marriage around you, but by making that cord of three strands where we didn't just submit to each other, but we submitted to you in the process. God, that our marriage will be strong, that it will continue to grow. So God, I pray right now that if anybody is in a spot, Lord, where they see one of those, those three responses popping up in their own lives, God, you would give them encouragement. You, you, you would show them what mutual submission looks like. God, that they wouldn't feel like they're stuck in a compromise or feel like they're stuck having to just hunker down and take it. And God, they would resist the urge to say, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. But they would see you. They would see what, what you did for your bride. God, and we would be challenged and encouraged to do the same. God, we love you so much. And we're thankful that you've given us the challenge to try to become more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.